This is the SFF Audio Podcast. Hi, I'm Jesse. Hi, I'm Paul. Hi, I'm Marissa. And we're going to talk about the 1957 novel, Eye in the Sky by Philip K. Dick. How many books have we done by Philip K. Dick now as a group? Paul, you and I did one without Marissa, I think, before, right? At least one. At least one. I've done more Dick on this program than non-Dick, I think, at this point. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Marissa, how many have you done? Uh, This must be like the third or fourth. I can't remember. I, I just... I'm, I seem to be setting it up to be like a an ongoing series of yeah through every Philip K. Dick novel in random order. Um, Paul, you were saying that if we were going to do another one, it would be Flow My Tears. Following on Eye in the Sky, absolutely. Given given the plot and themes of Flow, well, Flow My Tears, shouldn't do it though because well, we we want to space the, space out the ideas and stuff more rather than do companion pieces. Well, Did he write sure it right I, after? No, he wrote, but it, it, it follows the same sort of not part of reality, trying to uh, sort this up. And, and on the other hand, if you do flow, then the next obvious one is Valis, and Valis is kind of like an end dick. So I can see your point there. Uh, I'm trying to cl- stay close, to you close to the beginning, because um, I, I just a later dick, he scares me too much. <laughs> he, he he does go as they say off the rails. Yeah, it's like I I I think I'm gonna very happily go my whole life without reading that uh, that giant book of his notes about oh the, uh, ex- the exegesis the exegesis I yes. I bought it I bought the ebook but I'm afraid to open up and read it because I'm afraid of losing what appreciation I have for Dick by going exactly. going into that Warren. Yeah. I mean, just like That's, just like some authors, you don't want to really know their real beliefs and ideas because it ruins ruins their work for you. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, there's some. This uh, I I really enjoyed this book, and I I think a lot of it is just not knowing what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because it's got all the themes we've seen before, but there's so many great great bits in this in this book. Um, I didn't even know what a bevatron was. Um, oh, so that's actually it, a thing. It's it's a thing. It's a particle accelerator. Yeah. Oh, I think I might have made up that word. Yeah, it doesn't sound like a real word, does it? It's no. Like, Come on, Tron. Okay, I, I got that, but uh, it's some sort of cyclotron. Now, is it, it? I think it's yeah, the Berkeley cyclotron. So CERN is some sort of you know, Commonwealth or whatever they, their acronym is. Uh-huh. Um, so it's it's uh, billions. Billion electron volts. Yeah, synchrotron. Oh wow! Okay. (laughs) So um, there is a a a very good picture of what it looks like in on the Wikipedia entry for the Bevatron. So if you want to see what it looks like, where where they're spending ninety nine point nine percent of the novel is on the floor of that thing. Where they're really spending ninety nine percent of the novel. Um. So once we find out that they are stuck in the that thing, does does the fact that um, they're not in real worlds make this story less interesting? Because like there's you know the fact that somebody's going to die does that mean they're 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 not really going to die, right? I don't think so. Not for me. Yeah, I mean conventionally it should, right? Because if, yeah. If, if you read a, like a story about somebody playing a computer game and they can always respawn, you would say, "Well, that that has no, uh, you know, gravitas or whatever." But I don't think this book works like that. But I think no. the, the gravitas is not so much in dying; it's trying trying to find ways to get out of the of the various worlds they find, and then it's progressively harder and harder for them to try to escape. Yeah, so it feels um, more. It feels more like a um, like puzzle solving rather than like mortal yeah. peril kind of. Totally. Story, yeah. But they, but yeah, but if they make a false move, they could one spend their entire lives their well, at least a conception of their lives inside of a of a of a simulation, and that's yeah. that's no fun either. 
So that that's the that's the real what's the word horror. And there's lots mm-hmm. of there's lots of fiction. Not only the anime you you uh oh my god. So, but but <laughs> other stuff that that taps and ties into this whole what is this real and what does that mean if it's real? Um, the first one I want to think about is uh, the Star Trek Next Generation episode, The Inner Light. Have either of you mm. seen it? Yeah, yeah, it's nope. a great episode. Okay. Um, Captain Picard goes to, uh, I don't know, they're flying through space, and then some space probe comes and, and gets zaps Captain Picard, and suddenly he's not on the ship anymore, and everybody's calling him by a different name. And he spends yeah. an entire life as this other the, person on this doomed planet, Murray. Oh, wow, cool. It's a really good episode. Um, it's one of those ones where, you know, Captain Picard is forever changed, and then the very next episode, he's, he, you know, he might have a headache. I know. back to normal. <laughs> well, so remember, this was in the days of episodic TV before we had long-form right. season arcs. I mean, nowadays, if you did that, it would it would affect an entire season. Um, yeah. But, yeah, otherwise, yeah, it's, otherwise, it's a big reset button. But, yeah, but he's, he's tr- he lives, like, 30, 40 years of time inside this That's other right. world. I mean, it's very Eye in the Sky-ish. Yeah, well, it's a great episode. And, um, you know, it's actually, to me, it's it's much more like um, the Arthur C. Clarke story, The Star, or at least the section. Yeah, uh, yeah they're, they're uh, definitely tapping into that as well. Yeah, where they, I don't know if you, do you know that story, Marissa? No. It's kind of a generic title. Um it's it's a Christmas story, in fact. Um, but one of the interesting aspects of it, other than the the twist ending, which is very good, um, is that they're visiting a star system very far away from Earth, and at the edge of that solar system uh, that's had a no, went nova a long time ago is a planet like Pluto, mm-hmm. and that has served as sort of their repository for their culture as their Society has been uh, was going to be destroyed. They can see the changes coming to their star. They decided to go out and put all their you know books and great pieces of literature and sculpture and all that out on the edge of the solar system in the hopes that it would one day be seen by another civilization and appreciated. Oh, that sounds like a sad story. <laughs> it's a very very good sad. Should, story. should we tell? Should we tell her the kicker? Ah, let her read it. <laughs> there's, there's a kicker to this. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's a great, 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 great Christmas story. Um, <laughs> okay, adding it to my list, another one? Yeah, yep. it's on the PDF page. It's public yeah, it's, domain. it's short. Oh, cool. Very story. Um, very well told. So, but, yeah, uh, just by watching their videos, you don't quite live in their world, though, right? In this, I mean, what's so fun about this is, I, did, did we get, we didn't visit eight worlds, did we? There's eight characters. Right, and that Aww. that kind of annoyed me about this book. I mean, yeah, I, it was sort of uh, badly planned, I guess. I'm, and it, the, the amount of time they spend in each particular world gets shorter and it gets more cartoonish as as they progress. I mean, the, the first world we spend a good long time in mm. the uh, the the religious the religious world that basically gives the image of the giant eye of God, and then we spend mm. less time in. In the uh, in the Victorian world, less time still in the uh, horror world. Yeah, the horror world's good. Oh uh, God! I, I mean, is there is there there's like five worlds? Is that right? Because there's the communist. Uh, yeah, that's the, yeah, that's the fourth. That's the fourth and final world then, they go yeah. in. Yes, yeah, yeah. So it's yeah, it's religious, Victorian, horror, communist, and then they're out. Which I thought was a cheat this time because yeah, the, one of the others get a turn. Yeah, I think. I mean, what what's pretty clever is that he's he's using the same techniques he would use to write short stories, and he's just stringing them all together. I mean, this is a very good way to, uh, if you're a short story writer, to figure out how to write a novel, right? Yeah, you know, <laughs> get a bunch of short stories and find a way to string them together. Um, I I think that there's a lot of really interesting stuff happening in the religious world. I mean, the way. They, the engineers try and figure out how to make the vending machine reproduce things infinitely. It's, it's awesome. Yeah, that was my favorite one, I think. He's put, he's, so he's, he's, he's put a lot of thought into that world. Yeah. Unlike the person who, who's, who, whose world it is. Who, whose world is that? That's, um, uh, that's the, Arthur that's, Sylvester, or the war vet. Yeah. That sounds right. Because he's really a Babist. 
and that's a yeah. real religion. Yeah, I, 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 love I, did, I didn't know that. Yeah, totally obscure. Totally obscure. Pick some totally obscure religion, then says, "Okay, this is the new normal." <laughs> and this is what really, really is the world. Um, this kind of reminds me. Have either you read Robert Charles Wilson's Mysterium? No. no, it's one of his earlier novels, and basically in that novel, this town has a bad event happen to it, and because of the mental beliefs of of a few of the people there. They get shifted into another world, another world where Gnostic Christianity is the normal. Because it's similar. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's like it would be exactly the same. D- does it work out in the same, you know? Like, like it's literal just, kind of. Well, we don't actually see any religious beings. Uh, there's a little bit of transcendentalism at the end, but... But the the social structures all switch to like yeah, this. It's Gnostic Christianity is is the Christianity that's always been, and you guys, and you guys with your beliefs, because they're most of them are not you don't have any Gnostic beliefs at all, except for the guy that wound up warping them there. You guys are dangerous deviants and dangerous to our social structure, and they decide to try to do things to mm-hmm. uh, stop stop the town's ideas from spreading because it's a very authoritarian. Sort of view. Whereas, ironically, I, I know I'm spoiling this book terribly. It's a good, th- it's a good book. He's written better since, but the, the, the thing is, the guy that imagined Gnostic Christianity and wanted warping them there was thinking of it as a better religion than than normal Christianity because he thought it'd be more inclusive and less uh, and less bad for the world. Uh, mm-hmm. And turns out, no, the Gnostic Christianity is just as awful as other brutal religions. So it's kind of ironic mm-hmm. that way. I read as well, well that this is that when Philip K. Dick wrote this one, it was originally Christian, the Christian God, but it was an editor that made him change it. Oh, I, where did you read that? Because yeah. I, I find a lot of notes on this. I would have liked to have read uh, more. Um, yeah, it was like on a little collection of notes about it. I'll I can oh, um, add the link, but thank you. Yeah, I think it was originally Judeo-Christian, and then they were like. No, that's going to offend Americans. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, so that's made it more Arab. Ba- was how do we say Babist? Babist, yeah. Babist, right, and yeah. I, in my reading about that, it was uh, it was it's it's related to the Baha'i, I guess, which is uh, ah, okay. kind of Muslim. Um, o- it's offshoot, one of the yeah. less yeah, it's one of the less popular Muslim offshoots. Mm-hmm. Um, I, <laughs> yeah, it was, it was a, I want to say it's more secular, but that doesn't no, make any sense. No, he, it's more, uh, it's more different. <laughs> yeah, the, the, it, this this goes to show that even in the age before Wikipedia, you can find some really strange corners of history. Totally. To uh, totally. like, for example, this also reminds me of a uh, of a Harry Turtle Dove short story, which is set in uh, back in the first uh, millennium A.D. where there's, there is this Jewish prophet, not first millennium, about 1300, where there's this Jewish prophet in Constantinople and he gets a vision that if he's martyred, his religion, his variety of Judaism will become militant and go spread all over the world. And so he lets himself get killed. And he was an actual Jewish prophet in this real world, this minor guy that got got on the wrong side of the sultan. And his followers tried to agitate for his release, and the Sultan killed him, but didn't allow him to get quote unquote martyred. And I found that I think Turtle Dove was tying in again to uh, strange offshoot religions that uh, that could have been, but never went anywhere. And the Middle East is actually full of them. I mean, mm-hmm. I mean, we we think okay, there's Christianity, there's Islam, there's Judaism, but there's all sorts of little little sub-beliefs and offshoots all over the place that don't have a lot of followers. The Yazidis, for example, mm-hmm. which I had never heard of until until uh, ISIS and others started killing them. I was like, wait, what? They would believe what? Wait, what? It's like, it was just like, it's, it's mind-numbing just how much variety there is. It's almost like languages that way. Mm-hmm. And... I mean, I don't know where Dick got the idea, found this, he just must have found it reading the mind, like, hey, I'll make a, the religion based on that if I can't do the Christian God, and I think that's absolutely fascinating. Mm-hmm. I, I think you uh, you make an interesting insight in pointing the connection to languages, because I, 
think that's right. Um, one of the uh, things I was thinking about when you were talking there was that the there's there's a point I guess in that early uh, the first religious world in which someone says, uh, "Oh yeah, it's uh, our main character Hamilton, his name, right? Mm-hmm. Hamilton." Hamilton says, um, uh, to the, remember they're having the confrontation outside of his new job and some, I don't know, young punk employees come up and challenge his religiosity. Um, and, and he gets into the contest of naming Ohm's law or something, uh, with, with this kid and the kid doesn't know Ohm's law either, but it doesn't matter because he can pray and get the answer. Yeah. <laughs> but when the angel comes <laughs> over his shoulder, just a, this smiling face or just a smile with a teeth um, and yeah. mouth and a hand to whisper <laughs> into the ear, the answer, that's one of the uh, most striking, hilarious images. That's so ever. funny. And, and then, the, go ahead, Blur. So I think you're going to say what I was going to say. Go ahead. Probably yeah, maybe when uh, then everything is damned, and then when his car doesn't work, oh yeah, unless yeah. he prays, he's got to like pray to get the the engine to go again. That That's whole right. scene is the amazing. Is, it, the whole manual is is just a it's a, a prayer book. Story. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, what's what was funny about it was when when he says that's not fair you know this guy the only reason he's doing that is because he's jealous and jealousy is a sin right mm-hmm. um, and then the angel listens to him and says you know he's right and then the whole place gets damned um, that I think is the starting point for the rest of the book it's this pattern that comes up where they can control they that really there is no that mean see the thing is, is if an angel actually, if this world actually was real, and the angel is actually over your shoulder, shouldn't the angel know that that was jealousy? Because, mm. I mean, that's so stupid, yeah. right? Um, an angel should certainly, you know, I'm not going to answer this prayer. Uh, you know, God's not going to send me on this mission because uh, it wasn't it wasn't following the proper forms, or there was some reason for this. But because it's controlled, the world is generated by a person. A person can fail to see the conflict. Uh, you know, uh, without without having that argument brought oh, until yeah. that brought up, and so later on when they are in other worlds and they're uh, the, uh, my favorite world, I think is the one with the the prudish ladies world, yeah, right? Victorian world, yeah, yeah. So, well, you're calling it Victorian world, but it's 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 our world. It's just with uh, a lady who doesn't like swearing or. Or no. anything. Right. I was thinking moral, Victorian morality. Uh, I, I don't think the Victorians were. I think that that cartoon of the Victorian is is it, it maybe it was Queen Victoria, right? But she she had a hell of a lot of children, so she couldn't have hated sex. It's that. a character, yeah. I oh, love that. Yeah. I love how that whole section. The first thing you see when you go into that world is a horse wearing trousers, (laughs) (laughs) because she's somehow offended by, I don't know, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, well, later on, there's a cow that it it says something like it does its business or something. It doesn't say that it says something, it says, you know, cow did something very natural Uh, and then suddenly the cow's gone, right? Well, I think my favorite sequence in in this book, and one of the greatest sequences I think ever uh, in a Philip K. Dick book, is when they start making things go away. They start abolishing things, and uh, I, you know we had a little Twitter thing about this. Um, it's absolutely true. You sh- absolutely you do not want the power to abolish things mm-hmm. to get loose because this is exactly what will happen, right? Yep. It's it's almost like censorship world, right? Yeah, I guess uh, that's what it is. Um, and I just, I, I think it's really well done in the audiobook. The narrator does a very good job with it. I mean, it's a great scene. And I, I want to just read read the the thing where they start going crazy, <laughs> deleting things from the universe. Uh, so it says, all over the world, those instruments were gone. Advertisements, Miss Reese cried as a heavy oval truck moved along the highway. It's painted sides gleaming with words. The words disappeared. Trucks, too. The truck itself disappeared, hurtling the driver into the drainage ditch at the edge of the pavement. He's hurt, Marcia said feebly. The struggling driver was immediately gone. Gasoline, Hamilton said. That's what the truck was carrying. All of the world gasoline vanished. 
Oil and turpentine, Miss Reese added. Beer, rubbing alcohol, <laughs> tea, Hamilton said. Pancakes served honey, cider, Miss Reese said. Oh, why are they deleting that? It's perfectly good stuff. <laughs> Apples, oranges, lemons, apricots, pears, Marcia said faintly. Raisins and peaches, McFife muttered grumpily. <laughs> Nuts, yams, sweet potatoes, Hamilton said. Obligingly, Miss Pritchett abolished those various categories from the face of the earth. Their cups of tea became empty. Their supply of picnic food markedly dwindled. And then they keep deleting until, like, it's, they're down to metals! <laughs> and our, all their bodies start turning into <laughs> much. It's a clever <laughs> way to... I mean, they can't, they can't kill Mrs. Hamilton, so they'll kill the universe. Just by... Remo- <laughs> um, it, it brings me in mind of a bunch of things. It reminds me of uh, another Star Trek Next Generation episode, the one where... Um, Dr. Crusher is caught in in a bottle universe. Remember that one? Mm, you probably need to give me more. Cause okay, oh, uh, the tra- the traveler, that guy that shows up and starts mucking with the warp engines, and next thing you know, Dr. Crusher is on a ship where things start slowly disappearing. Oh, okay. And, and, and it gets fewer, fewer, fewer and fewer people, and everyone thinks it's as normal. And at the end, and towards the right. end, it's just her right. and the Picard. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's like there's a ship full of people that need to be serviced by a doctor, and suddenly now the doctor's the only one left on the ship. Right. It's just You just need one guy to run the ship. He should be a doctor because it's all automated, and everybody thinks that's And perfect. then the universe starts shrinking. And yeah. she says, what's the nature of the universe? The universe is a sphere 980 meters long. Like, what? Right. So, yeah, that, right. that's a very, again, it's just like contraction of the entire universe. Um, another thing I'm reminded of is the movie Delirious. Uh, have either of you seen that? Jim Belushi movie? Jim Can- uh, John Candy. John- oh, okay. John Candy movie. He plays a soap opera writer who wakes up in his own soap opera town, but then he oh. but then he starts finding out that he can change things by just typing them on the typewriter. That sounds pretty good. I, it, it, it's not a bad comedy. I mean, at one point, this, 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 the villain shows up and... He starts typing furiously. Says, I, I need to go to Cleveland, and then he finally comes back because he didn't specify that he was staying in Cleveland. And the guy says to John Kennedy, "You sent me to Cleveland, but that alone I could kill you." It's one of my favorite <laughs> lines in all movies. <laughs> so yeah, again, a very dicky and sort of we can change reality just by editing it, and that has unintended consequences. There's another world where we visit that. I mean, maybe that's the key. Also, key is is the world where everybody has a psychologist. Is that the same? Is it, that's or not a psychologist? Psychiatrist. Everybody's in therapy. That's that's uh, the Victorian world. Is that? Yeah, because the first world psychology is not accepted, and then suddenly psychology everybody has it. Right. But okay. but then he drops the idea. There's no psychologists in the horror world or in the uh, or in the. Uh, the uh, cartoon yeah, I, communist world. I, I like how you've come up with these names for them. I, uh, because the, they don't come up with them, right? I guess it would belong to whoever person's right. world it is. Yeah. But we don't find out who that is most of the time until quite quite late. Right, and there's the whole plot in the communist world that he thinks, Hamilton thinks it's his wife because right. his wife's been under this uh, pre- pressure, and he has because she's supposedly a communist and all this. But it turns out it's actually... Uh, the other guy, uh, the guy, the guy that's actually uh, going doing the inquiry into him. Right. Um, the the horror world with with that with that house eating the people. Yeah, oh my that was God. weird. That, that, that awesome that, weird. That, <laughs> it yeah. has that. It has that cool. Um, there's it's really striking when they're you know this says something like the carpet. Lick them back or something like that. It's yeah, like, what? that was so gross. <laughs> but the thing is, is uh, what's interesting is the way that scene is described. Is they are each describing to each other. It's it's almost a consensual hallucination uh, description. It's a very much a role playing game sort of style of, you know. Okay, this guy's doing that and that guy's doing this, except they're describing how the house is, right? Outside, the hair was... Like, it's not the author as much as the characters who are making the descriptions there. Right. I, I want to and, I read this, bit. Yeah, go for okay, it. Okay, so, so... Chapter is that? Um, it is in chapter... Uh, 
Chapter 14. 14, okay. Okay. I mean, they figured out that the house is a, is a food, is, is alive at this point. The, um, from behind them, the garlicky, rancid breath of the creature billowed out of the hall. The tongue, tongue rippled greedily. The wall sweated saliva. In the gloom behind Hamilton, in the gloom behind, ha- yeah. Hold on a second. Um, there we go. There we go. Thing. Your book, uh, skip that for a second. Pretty crappy book. Yeah, I know. It's, it's very, very bad, uh, Bad ebook. Alright. Alright. In the gloom behind Hamilton, human voices shrilled in hopeless fear. Ignoring them, he fought to get his hands and arms into the dwindling cavity that had been the front door. Beneath him, the floor began to rise, and the ceiling slowly and exorably was coming down. With rhythmical precision, the two were coming together, in a moment they would meet. Chewing, Marsha gasped beside him in the darkness. Like, oh my god. Um. That reminded me strongly of a the Twilight Zone the movie episode. Um, do you remember the Twilight Zone the movie in the eighties? Saw it. Can't in remember. The 80s. Uh, I saw it in the eighties. I don't know. And, and, that and this one. actually ties in the ISK as well. One of the episodes is about it's it's a kind of remake of It's a Good Life about that kid who can change reality. Right. Yeah, I thought about that story. Yeah. Quite a- and in in this episode, he banishes his quote-unquote, sister to cartoon land. And it, right. it, it, it is one of the most terrifying things I saw when I was younger because she's, she's, she's in this cartoon and she's in this medical thing and the doctor turns into this werewolf with, a, with an axe and she starts running and then he turns into a dragon and she starts running. There's these voices all around her. And then suddenly the scene changes and she's actually inside the mouth and then the teeth close. <laughs> and then we see, the, we see the creature burp and rub its stomach. That's all. That's all. I was scared the hell out of my wits. Like, oh my wow. God, she's her. <laughs> and she's dead. And that's, that's what this house reminded me of. It didn't remind yeah. me the first time I read it because I think I read this before I'd actually seen the episode. But then I saw it like, oh my God. It's yeah. exactly the same sort of thing. The, the world be- it becomes a feeding thing around them to, to devour them. Like, I love how it does actually eat Mrs... Pritchard as well, and it, it yeah. crunches her up, and then he's talking about how it's gonna um, like excrete her onto its back porch into like yeah. a pile of bones. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> description is is there gonna be some buttons and yeah, <laughs> on the back of it. Yeah, yeah that was horrific. Like, but did I, you, the garbage men go to the back door to pick up the poo. I guess. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But did you notice as well? I feel like each of these worlds is like he's really frustrated with these kind of people and it sounds like uh joan rice is kind of a a man hater maybe like she's the house is really masculine it's like got he's always talking about like it has yeah, middle-aged steady, man breath steady, and yeah yeah middle-aged man dandruff and you know like <laughs> well that's how, she it's like she's afraid of men and yeah how she sees men yeah, she must it, be it, really afraid of me. <laughs> it's it's very interesting because yeah, it, because we're getting into all these people's heads. Uh, we we do. I mean, that's what's so cool about having the multiple visits to different people. As you say, well, that's right. I mean, everybody does see the world the way they see the world, right? It's mm-hmm. and and it does map to you know, a, a religious person goes around seeing miracles here and there, right? I mean, maybe not everywhere, but so, uh, some see it everywhere. Right? Mm-hmm. I didn't even say that, but so, you know, just if you're relatively religious, you'll go around, you know, saying, you know, there was this and there's that and this is a sign of this and and then, uh, you know, completely another person, you know, just sees everyone as a predator, right? Everything's paranoia. So, yeah. I mean, as a little kid, you know, you totally could see, you know, the the bed is going to eat me or the there's you know those monsters in the closet and all of those things uh, what 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 i'm reminded of by the the horror world as you're calling it Paul <laughs> is um is that Philip K Dick is actually very very good at doing scary um scary scary stuff it, yeah that was creepy he really mm-hmm. is good at that uh but the the, the cat that was the one that oh really god cat <laughs> poor cat I, 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 is it chapter fourteen? Is, is I think that it's where thirteen? 
Okay, chapter I think 13. Has... That was the same world, right? That's the, the yeah, yeah. I'm pretty sure that's how yeah, it starts. Yeah, they, yeah. Before, yeah, before they realize, they, they think they're they're back in their their world. Oh, that was hideous. Like, oh, it's so disturbing, and <laughs> you just feel so bad for it. Um, Nini Numcat. Nini Numcat, right? Yeah, yeah I, I found it. Oh, okay. Let's hear because um, there's this bucket. Yep. <laughs> just the most frightening thing ever. Miss Rice had never liked cats. She had been afraid of cats. Cats were her enemies. The thing on the floor was Ninny Numcat. He had been turned inside out, but he was still alive. The tangled mess was a still-functioning organism. Miss Rice had seen to that. She was not going to let the animal get away. Quivering. Quivering. The moistly shining blob of bones and tissue was undulating sightlessly across the kitchen floor. Its slow, steady progress had been going for, on for some time, probably since Mrs. Reese's world had come into existence. The grotesque mass in three and a half hours had managed to drag itself in a kind of peristaltic wave halfway across the kitchen. I can't! Marcia wailed. It can't be alive! Getting a shovel from the backyard, Hamilton scooped the mess up and carried it outside praying that it could be killed. That's the line that got me. That's so <laughs> you filled the zinc bucket with, a water, with water and slid the quivering heap of organs, bones, and tissue into it. <laughs> For a time, the remnants lay half-swimming, oozing, and clinging, seeking to find some way out of the bucket. Oh, my God. So, <laughs> so full of pathos. I mean, I'm not a cat guy, but this is the most horrific thing ever. Yeah. Did you read... Um the Damon Knight story that I think kind of inspired this book. No, what, what's that one? Uh, four and one. Oh, because, really? Because that scene really reminds me of that story. No, I haven't read that. Uh, it's about like uh, some people who get eaten by this alien kind of life form, and it dissolves. Oh, yes, all... it's a short story, right? Yeah, it's a short yeah, story. Yeah, sorry, yeah. Oh, I have read. Yeah, yeah, you're right. And it dissolves all their bodies, but it's just their brains in this kind of, like, big, gloopy and lump. And eyes, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's a and, really great story. And apparently, it's, I think it's on the Wikipedia page that he was kind of inspired by that when he wrote this book. So, that it's a scene good reminds me of it. Of the, yeah. Wow, that, that, I forgot about that story. That is yeah, really so cool. so did I. Wow. Uh, but but that one is more intri- like it's more curious because it's it's from their perspective, right? Um, this one is is just I mean that that poor cat. Oh my god! Yeah. And and the thing is is you know I don't think I don't think Mrs. Reese right I don't think Mrs. Reese was particularly evil, but if you have a consequence of you think everybody is is you know sort of. Uh, menacing, mm-hmm. uh, and she's projecting that out into the world. It's like, um, uh, no matter what your foibles, right? As you know, no matter how limited your your uh, I don't know menace that you have within you, if you, if we give you ultimate power over the universe, um, that's kind of a problem mm-hmm. <laughs> because whatever it is, it's going to uh, greatly affect everybody's lives if. If you know what's the, uh, I mean that's the Nazis, right? Is they they got a singular vision, we gotta get going on it, and they they do, and it's just that's no way to live, right? Mm-hmm. That's horrible. Um, so the fact that she's created this horrible world out of her own psychology is it's kind of it's not an indictment of her as much as it's kind of a um, makes you feel bad for people. <laughs> I didn't come come out of this hating human humanity. I came out of it saying, "Oh my god, yeah, <laughs> poor people. We really got it tough." She had yeah. a very bizarre end as well. That just that whole that whole world is just so strange. With the where everyone turned into sort of insects and started cocooning her and feeding off her. <laughs> <laughs> that was very odd. Mm. What's that? It, it's you know. If we go into the Freudian psychology of it, is is that it's like she, she doesn't like that, does she? That's her fear, isn't it? Yeah, it was her fears, I think. That's that's the way I read it as. Yeah, but you'd think the you know, other you'd... two kind of yeah they got what they wanted, didn't they? Their, their yeah, worlds were 
more like I mean, their versions of Utopia. <laughs> yeah, the the censorship world or whatever we want, or the Victorian world is, is uh-huh. fine. Yeah. Um, I don't. I mean, I think she she <laughs> she's yeah, maybe when she's losing her, you know, the bones, the calcium out of her bones, um, she's gonna start. Oh, what was one one of the things they deleted was acid, right? and they all started feeling incredible pain because right? their bodies are shutting down. Um, you know, at some point, uh, you're going to have to <laughs> keep some things. But it, there was a perverse, perverse pleasure in all those deletions. I don't know. Yeah. And even a couple of the people who were trapped in that world were kind of preferring the censored world. Mm-hmm. Marsha and um, what's his name? Bill Laws. Speaking of which, uh, we see one of the themes, uh, <laughs> Philip K. Dick themes again in, the, in that chapter with the uh, the bar fly. They go to the bar. And, oh, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. And he takes, he, somehow she ends up at his house, right? Uh-huh. <laughs> and he takes her downstairs to have sex with her while his wife is upstairs. Yeah. And his wife is like, well. Later on, she's like, oh, you know, I understand you. Yeah. She's like, you can't, you can't do anything anyway because they don't have any... All the That's genitals right. are completely gone. They're completely sexless, sexless creatures at that point. Uh, well, they can just play records. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Euphemism for... for yeah, yeah. that's the way I was, yeah. thinking, that's what I was thinking. Like, wow. It really was, yeah. That was pretty hilarious. Um, another... another the, there was a line in there um, near the end. Hamilton says, uh, you know, wives are pretty rare. <laughs> It's like, no, Mr. Philip Kiddick, that's what you're saying to yourself now in 1955 or 56 when you're writing this book. This is but, actually, uh, that's sort of the most affectionate uh, book where I've read his I writing know. of a wife. I've never uh, read a book of his where he's so... He was in such a good mood when he wrote this. Yeah, thing. like yeah. the the Marsha is a really um, independent, beloved yeah. woman, and usually his uh, his woman are kind of... Yeah, <laughs> intelligent, like, I'm like, wow. It's quite yeah. unusual for him. Yeah, she, despite the the attempted infidelity, sexless infidelity downstairs. Yeah, but she was actually quite open minded about that. I think I think she was like <laughs> a perfect woman, maybe. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, and she just turns out not to be a communist, and that's all he cares about. He, he the fact that he loses his job in the end, he doesn't care about. It. It's just that Marsha is okay and not a communist. That's all he. Uh, no, I don't think it was even like I think he would have been okay with her being a communist. I think it was that the fact that no. he couldn't tell whether she was lying. Right mm-hmm. about about being yeah. And and uh, I mean one of the things that we we haven't really touched on is the fact that this is so appropriate for its period, right? That it's so McCarthyistic uh, sort of you know the, what's the what's it called the, Red the, Scare. the Colonel though like he was he was um, at the end he's. He's saying, you know, you're still fired, <laughs> right? You're still, yeah, you went through this horrible thing. You've lost mm-hmm. your front teeth, and you know, he turned into an old man after he he says. But yeah, you're still fired uh, because even though you know you say this guy's a communist, um, we can't go around judging people that way. We have to go by what they actually subscribe to, and I, I think that that's. It's really good because he calls him a, a super, what the communists said, calls him a super patriot, right? The super patriots are the ones that are most easily <laughs> manipulated. Because uh, I just thought it was a very subtle way of getting out. I mean, this whole book could be seen as a subtle way of getting out of McCarthyism. Because it's yeah. not a, it's not a viable system. Uh, the McCarthyistic world is, you know, the world, of, the actual world that the story starts in, and I guess ends in. Yeah, I, mm-hmm. I, I think it's, pre- it's pretty certain that we've. I mean, there's. It's not like, say, the movie Turtle Recall is a question whether or not they're actually in the real or not. In this movie, in this book, yeah, it's pretty certain that we've gone back to reality in the end. Except, except for that earwig that crawled up somebody's leg. What was that doing there? Oh, there you, there you go. Make me question. Fight. <laughs> yep. Yep. You're right. It's in the last last page. It's it's designed to make you question it all. Question. <laughs> Scary. Was that, 
Did that bite happen think... like right after they lied or they blasphemed uh, or something, or is it? It's a good question. Let's see. Uh, I vaguely remember them brushing it off. It's very near the end. Let's see. Okay, so they, they're going to go off and do their business. Oh, heavens, Miss Pritchett assured him. Yeah, they're all friends and everything at the end after this, which is which is interesting. After they've gone through all these experiences and seen inside their the souls of all these people, yeah, maybe right. they're just going to invest in the new business. Like, wait, what? Sulkily, <laughs> David Pritchett retired. No, no, I, I, I found it. You got it? Yeah, it's in the very last page. You will lost said, and immediately leap back in pain. Clutching his ankle, he bent angrily down and crushed something small and wriggling with his thumb. What is it? Hamilton demanded. An earwake. Called up my sock and bit me. Grinning uneasily, Laws added, just a coincidence. Uh-huh. Mm. <laughs> so what happened right before that? Um, okay, because they are talking about, Mrs. Pritchard was talking about getting her investment back. Right. All, all right, Mrs. Pritchard agreed, finally commenced. With great care and precision, she made out a check underwriting their initial expenses. I expect to get this back, she said sternly. She handed the check to Laws, as per the terms of our agreement, and then the airway bites. Mm-hmm. He says you will. So, yeah. Uh, so maybe effort. it was a lie. Yeah. Well, are they still trapped in the Bevatron? <laughs> Whose world are they in now? And how could they tell? How can you yeah. tell? I mean that that goes into that anime that you had yeah, shown yeah. us. So I I found great difficulty in watching at, well, as I it's, all anime. It's ap- what did you guys think of it? It's also episode twenty of a series, and I didn't know the character. I, yeah. so, I was going to watch episode one, but I just I was like I don't know about I, this. I couldn't follow it coming in that late. That episode twenty, I've got to watch that all again. That series, it's a. I've watched it before, but I watched it in with German subtitles, and I didn't speak very good German, so <laughs> I think I, I'm not a fan of anime. And I mean, here it starts right with the title, Ergo Proxy. Okay, mm-hmm. so what they do is here's my theory of how they make titles for these shows: is they get some dice with random words, <laughs> they shake them up, words that they like, they shake them up, then they roll them. Oh, I rolled an ergo, and then <laughs> proxy. <laughs> okay, we got the show name. Uh, I mean, in the case of Death Note, it, it sort of, you know, slightly makes sense, although Note is not exactly what it is. So, you know, okay, I'll, I'll forgive a But most of the time, they're just completely random. And, and it seems to me that the scripts are written that way, too, because there's, like, just, there's a lot of scenes where people are staring at each other, and then there's tons of, like... Why do they, we keep looking at their food? <laughs> yeah, we're looking at cutting our food again and again and again right. in that restaurant. I mean, does this mean something? And and so it's like I I think of my my uh, my brain when I'm watching something like that. It's like it's like I'm a great detective who's who's solving a random mystery that actually isn't a mystery. You know, it's like I don't feel like I'm getting any. I feel like. I'm wasting my time when I, I, I look at it. But it, people love anime. So so why – you watch this whole series. What's going on with it? What's the point of it? Are you asking it, me? It, it was – yeah. No, I, I, I honestly couldn't, I couldn't understand it. I watched it with German and I didn't speak very good German. So all I remember is that <laughs> this is, <laughs> it was confusing and mysterious then. And it's probably going to be exactly the same in English. <laughs> I was trying to read the read the Wikipedia entry's explanation for why it's called Ergo Proxy. Uh-huh. So there's uh-huh. there's something about pro, there's these things called proxies in in this world, I guess, um, which is um, and I'm hoping I'm correct in describing it this way. It's like I don't know, like androids, they're replacement people or something like that. And then Ergo is supposed to come from Cogito Ergo Sum. Which is, uh, you know, the famous Descartes line, uh, I think, therefore I am. But the problem is, is they've chosen the wrong one, right? Ergo means therefore. So, therefore not, proxy. Yeah. Therefore proxy. Is that like a, a joke for the whole show? Is like, aha, everyone's an android or something. That's I mean, a very Dickian sort of. It would be, mm-hmm. but it doesn't seem to be that. Like, uh, there's a lot of random stuff going on in that. That episode. Did you guys? Th- do you think that it's a legit uh, 
you know, quote unquote adaptation or homage to it's, to. It's, uh, yeah, I think it's a, it was what, from what I saw. Of, I don't know any of these characters, but clearly we have a fractional personality of him writing in her brain, and then we start seeing things that he weren't real, but he's imagining. So when we get to that point, there, there, there was, you're clearly going into uh, in the sky territory because he's he's making up that some of that past that we're seeing on the screen. I guess. Yeah, it's very limited. It's, it's, re- mm-hmm. yeah, it's very limited, and we don't have a lot of the context to understand why these are these are important. But we need Django Wexler for this. Django, where are you? He's a... <laughs> He's a uh, fantasy writer. He he watches a lot of anime. I'm sure he could explain this to us. So many people do, and I I just don't get it. I do, I've never like I've tried. I've tried to sit down at the beginning of them, and and I feel like it's all a scam. <laughs> like that it's all fake. That people don't really like it. Which which obviously you know that doesn't seem reasonable. But. I, I, watching it, I can't understand why anybody would want to ever see one ever again because they're horrible. They're just so boring. It's I, I, no I, I, illogical. I don't know if they're boring. I think I think it's a matter of expectation them being stilted and using using conventions that that western that western audiences aren't immediately familiar with. I, I, I mean, this is the, this is why they're popular in Japan because they have the the context and the and the, and the visual grammar to That's understand. True, yeah. We don't that's, have that visual grammar. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, uh, that's what I would assume, you know, like when you're a little kid, you you don't like, uh, you know, adult stuff. I didn't like Yes Minister when I was a kid. I wanted it to be turned off so I could watch cartoons. <laughs> but now I think Yes Minister is the greatest thing ever. It's so funny, right? I don't have the context as a little kid. But uh, I just, I find it very difficult because... As far as I can tell, like the, there's no econ. <laughs> I did a book last week, I think. Yeah. Oh yeah, I did Lord of the Rings, <laughs> the uh, Fellowship of the Ring, first part of the Fellowship of the Ring. And one of the things that struck me is how uh, strange the economy is <laughs> in the Fellowship of the Rings. Now the thing is, is you know, obviously it's a fantasy novel. Uh, you know, but I'm saying you know the elves really need to set up a shop to sell their elven bread to, to the hobbits because they really would pay a lot for that, right? Um, now, I, I think I'm going a little bit far on that, but there is actually an economy there. They do actually have money. I can tell, I've never seen an episode of any Japanese or any anime that ever had an economy that made any goddamn sense at oh, all. really? <laughs> Nobody <laughs> ever earns money for anything. There's, and I'm not saying that, you know, that's really important, uh, that all fiction be, you know, Star Trek doesn't have money, right? But they're in the military, sort of, and they are post-scarcity economy. I don't know, like, how, how is it that all of these different worlds don't have any sort of economy? That's, that's why uh, Gold Press Latinum got added to Star Trek <laughs> Universe in these days. Because someone realized, like, wait a minute, why isn't there money again? There should be money. So you suddenly got money in a post-scarcity world, which is even more of a, huh? Yeah, that, that, yeah. <laughs> that doesn't make a lot of sense either. I'll have um, to watch this Ergo Proxy again and, and keep an eye out for the economy. Well, I, like, uh, there's a lot of people eating steak, but where do they get <laughs> <laughs> but re- Reading the Wikipedia, it seems like there seems to be some sort of tiered society here, and the rich and powerful get the steak, and the others do not. <laughs> so, so, so this, this might be, a, like, a political and fable. What was the doctor's name? The doctor's name was, like, Bunny or something. <laughs> no, it wasn't Bunny. It was just, but, she like, her uniform is, like, she's got... Boots that go from her the tips of her toes up to her upper thigh, mini skirt, and you know it's like okay, she's a doctor, she's a psychiatrist or whatever. So she, um, she's making uh, the viewer at ease, maybe I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm reaching here, man. I'm sorry, no, but it's not, uh, it's not anything weirder than what we've seen in this novel. No, it's not. That's the funny part, right? Is is that it is a, the the world makes perfect sense to somebody, and mm-hmm. and a lot of somebody's in our world. But I feel like I'm I'm trapped in when I go visit anime world. I feel like I'm trapped in a universe that makes no sense. <laughs> and I don't mean it's boring in the sense that 
it's uh it, it it it's just not interesting because there's no way to anticipate anything. <laughs> there's no way to uh participate in it for me. I I I think it's a matter of just learning that vocabulary and grammar and maybe this isn't a good what's the word I'm looking for opening anime to try to or maybe I've tried a lot. I've tried a lot. I I mean I I don't yeah, I mean, I don't claim hundreds, but I claim dozens. Hmm. And I think that's probably dozens too many, because every time I go into one, I say, okay, this movie's very highly rated, right? You know? Because uh, cause we, we discussed an, an anime movie on uh, on the, my uh, my home podcast, the Skippy Fan Show, and it, it did have some very stilted elements, but we enjoyed it, a, enjoyed it a lot, because it did bring some interesting ideas, but it didn't seem quite as stylized as this in some ways. What was the one you watched? Oh, crap. My, I knew you were going to ask that. I should have pulled it up real quick. Um, Ghost in the Shell is one that sort of shares a little bit of uh, Philip K. Dickey um, elements. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember watching that and thinking, very pretty, um, looks good, uh, doesn't make any sense at all. There's no way I can connect it to our world in any sort of way and say, oh, yes, now I understand something clearly or anything like that. Uh, Akira, right, That that's another one. You know, beautiful motorcycles driving through Tokyo. You didn't like uh, any of these? I, I, I like the way they looked. I just yeah. don't understand what the story is doing. Like, mm. it's just stuff happening. Um, but the 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 motivations are completely baffling to me like what why is the character why is the character doing that even when they say they explain their explanation it's like no i don't get that hmm. I, I would not have expected them to say that <clears throat> i'm inspired to watch some more and see if if i feel the same well uh, you, you watch Ergo proxy i assume that that's uh, not the only one you've ever seen uh and so long ago like i haven't watched anime for like Eight or ten years or something. I'll have to it, check it, out some more. Were you? I don't know how old you are. Were you a kid when you were watching it? No, um, no, I wasn't a kid. But it was just I was watching it to try and learn German. A German girl gave it to me when I first got to Germany. <laughs> and my guess is it wouldn't help you. Yeah, and so I watched maybe like ten or twelve episodes and got like a feel for it, but I didn't understand what was going on. So I couldn't. I honestly couldn't comment on the story. And it's not like a, a like I, I watch uh, Akira Kurosawa movies, and I I say, man, I love Japanese culture because <laughs> I love Akira Kurosawa. And then I watch some other Japanese director, and it's like, wait a second, this is nothing like that. Um, I think Akira Kurosawa must have been really big big into uh, Western style storytelling or something because it just totally makes yeah. sense, like. R- Rashomon, uh, I, I mean, I know he didn't come up with all of that, but that that storytelling is classic. It's awesome. You know, Seven Samurai. Okay, I got it. It's Magnificent Seven, except Magnificent Seven is sem- Seven, right? It's, it's right. so easy reversible that it's exactly the Yojimbo. Oh, okay, got it. It's it's that uh, High Plains Drifter or whatever. Right? Um, they're exactly the same, and and what's the one, the Hidden Fortress? That's Star, that's Star Wars, well, right? Well, parts of it, yeah. yeah. And, and by, by the way, the anime, the anime movie that we had seen for uh, Skippy and Fanti was Summer Wars, mm-hmm. which, which deals with a rogue AI and multi-MMOs multi and strange things that kind of look like Second Life but aren't. So, okay. But it's a much, less st- much less stylized than... than uh, than Ergo Proxy, but it, it was a lot of fun. Now, yeah, see the ideas like the when it, whenever I read the descriptions of of anime, I always say, "Oh, that sounds very interesting." The subjects are, no, that should be very fruitful. And then I watch it and I say, "I don't feel <laughs> I don't feel like I learned anything." Yeah, but do you, but do you, do you think that that sort of uh, disconnection from what's going on, what you're seeing, isn't that in a way very much tapping into the spirit of Dick? <laughs> um, I mean, I, we've done a number it, of, it is, but but when it happens continuously, right? Yeah. Every time, 
right? There, there was one I watched called uh, Wings of Hanamaze, which is about an alternate uh, space race, you know? And I was, oh, I love space race stuff. Alternate space race, even better, right? And it's like, no, they might as well have called it Wings of Mayonnaise because the, <laughs> the, rocket, the rocket action is not our rocket. Like, the, the just, it's, it's, it's like a, it's like a dream world, literally, <laughs> someone else's dream, and and it doesn't, uh, you know, it it is like visiting one of these eye in the sky worlds, but I guess it's not Philip K. Dick dreaming it; it's, it's some uh, somebody some else fan. I don't know. Another, but I guess that was a strong theme with all of the worlds in the eye in the sky. They definitely made sense. Like to the, there was like a weird logic that Hamilton had to figure yeah. out in every single uh, world to get out of it. Right. I love I love that that vending machine thing because that is the point in the story where you know so they we're gonna start a business right? we're gonna make mm-hmm. tons of money and then, oh shit this won't work if we take it back to our world right because you don't have the power of prayer <laughs> um, like how does that machine how did that machine get manufactured why would you even need that machine remember when he's driving back he's driving back from his uh the the cursed lands with his car broken car and he sees a uh car repair shop you just have to bring it in and they'll pray pray it back to hell oh yeah yeah why would you need that if you can just pray your car back right? well, and it's and logical. the whole the electronics what's it called electronics development agency the eda that whole agency is all about they all engineering like phone lines to god yeah better connectivity to the divine yeah. What, what, what do we make of the the visit to God? Because I thought that was hilarious. The umbrella. Yeah, that was great. God's eye, and then it was, he, God poofed it, uh, burned the umbrella, and they fell back down to the earth mm-hmm. until they bounced. It, it, it's almost yeah. It's almost like a literal fall, the capital F sort of thing. You're trying to rise to heaven and not being worthy, <laughs> and then falling back to the mundanity of earth. I, well, at least that's the symbolism. I think. I mean, I mean. Dick, Dick wasn't particularly religious himself, but he re- researched religions left, right, and center. Although at this point he had not read the Book of Acts. Now I'm thinking about "Flow My Tears," policeman said again. Sorry about that, but which is the book? Which is the book that weirdly ties into the Book of Acts, and he didn't expect it to, because because there's there's plot points in that book that kind of mirror the the Acts of the Apostles, and just by pure coincidence, or is it? I don't know. Are we really in a Dickian world, and all this coincidence is really just part of the grand design? I don't know. Sometimes I get, sometimes I read too much Dick, I get wigged out by that idea. <laughs> yeah. No, I think I think you know the fact you're saying he's not religious. I think he quite obviously is very religious at some points in his life, and that's what, that's the cool thing about Dick is he's not just like he's not monotone, right? He's mm-hmm. he's all over the map. And so all of these worlds that he visits, there are merits to them that he he can spin out in a in a really fascinating, interesting, fun way. And then said, so, "No, look at all these holes. I poked all these holes in this world. Sort of the world deflates, and he inflates a new one. Yeah, <laughs> based on an entirely uh, different sort of background premise. So that the like, there's a story by him called the Father Thing, which is very much like our horror world, right? This is about a little boy who... Oh, wonderful, wonderful little story. A little boy whose father has been replaced by uh, an alien or something, and it's not really his father, but the mom doesn't know that and the sister doesn't know that. Only he knows that. Um, And they're like, you know, go spend time with your father in the garage, right? And the father's out there, like, digesting his old father. (laughs) (laughs) And And that's a Philip K. Dick story. I know, and it totally doesn't feel like it would be a Philip K. Dick story when we read a bunch of things that aren't that, like that. That sounds like but that movie, actual- um, what is that, Invaders from Mars? Is that uh, the one, do you remember that? And there's like a little kid and the, his parents, yes. his father gets um, the aliens, think- like inject something in the back of his neck, and then they yeah, come yeah. back to the house and they're walking around and only the kid knows that they're aliens right. now. Yeah, they remade that one too. Um, There's so, versions of it. Oh, okay. When there's another one, uh, not too dissimilar, where you know there's oh, it's called the Hanging Stranger. We actually have done it as a podcast, 
um, that is very, you know, it's a grisly, sort of gruesome horror. And there is this thing, you know, like, at some points in your life, you you know, you're you're feeling sexy. And then in other points in your life, you're like, you know what? Sex is gross. (laughs) (laughs) Get both of that in here, right? It's not that, it's not, all, all eight of those characters are really Philip K. Dick, right? Because he's spinning out their worlds for them. It's not some other writer. And actually, Marsha goes through weird things, doesn't she? Because in one, in that prudish world, she's pretty happy not to have sex or anything anymore. And then in the next one, she's super happy. She's got her breasts back and she's (laughs) trying to like seduce him again. That's right. Go warm up the, the, the The audio uh, room. (laughs) (laughs) Get out the Tchaikovsky. You know how much I love that. But there's definitely a point where he's, she's quite enjoying the prudish world and he's sort of getting angry at her. Yeah. For it. But the, the the very fact that, you know, how does this prudish world work? How how are babies made? I mean, the lady, baby has a baby. How, how, she has a child. How did that happen? I was imagining storks, actually, or so, or such. So, so, yeah, I'm something sure. Like. That, that, that would actually work, right? Because that's that's one of those Santa Claus-style lies, right? That, huh. that parents, are, at least in the 1950s, maybe it's the baby boomers who had that world probably goes back farther than that but it seemed to sort of be a uh we see it in the tom and jerry style cartoons you know the warner brothers um that trope of explaining where babies come from we'll just make up a little lie that allows us not to have to think about it oh, i wish he had explained that actually i can't remember i remember the doctor oh, was it the doctor some guy calling sex the an abnormal clinical condition that's sort of like right. outdated <laughs> <laughs> so it was still in their past like they do have a memory of of sex, but it's just it's and an old also, tradition. Yeah, and also like the, there was another line in there about how uh, uh, there, if you if you yeah, and this, that's the psychiatrist right saying if you sublimate you know yeah, is it sublimate? You sublimate your urge for sex, it becomes art. Oh, that's right. Yeah, and and that is very interesting because it's it it's gobbledygook you know, uh, Freud talk, which is not science. But on the other hand, if you look at what, like, uh, the bowerbirds of, uh, I guess, Marissa, you would know this, the New Zealand bowerbirds? No. No? no? Uh, maybe it's not New Zealand. Anyways, there's this animal called the bowerbird. Uh-huh. It's, a, it's a bird. And it makes very, very super highly elaborate uh, little um, homes for potential mates. The thing is, is that the home is not really all that important, except as it as the the mate comes and inspects it, uh-huh. and it's gorgeous. Like you just look at it and you say, "Oh, it's so beautiful! It's all these colors and very well woven, and there's this you know pattern uh, arrangement." They they make a little garden and a house for their mate, mm-hmm. and then the mate comes by and says, hmm, "Yeah, this looks pretty good. I'll I'll, I'll mate with you." <laughs> <laughs> and it's like. As close to we get to animal art, other than you know, you know, the elephant with a paintbrush or mm-hmm. in the zoo. Yeah, it, that's it, true. It's very much like you know what those uh, Shakespearean sonnets are about, right? It's, it's Shakespeare's trying to wait to seduce. He's trying to seduce somebody. Mm-hmm. I'm, I wrote you this sonnet, dear. What do you <laughs> turn on the Tchaikovsky? What's happening tonight? <laughs> There's something there's something very fun going on in this book. Yeah. It was, yeah, it's a very fun very, book. Very playful, playful. Uh-huh. I and loved as well in uh Edith Pritchard's world where um what's his name Hamilton, he gets a day off work so he can take his cat to the pet show. Like that just happens in her <laughs> world and just all these ridiculous little things that it's just completely normal. Yeah. <laughs> oh, for her that makes perfect yeah. sense. Yeah. <laughs> Meanwhile, he, he just he he doesn't really. He, he, the hardest part was killing the cat. Was just the the you know getting it done and quick quick enough. Uh-huh. Right? Yeah. Didn't like his cat very much, but there's there's something quite wonderful about about how this is a novel too because novels are like that. They are a spinning up of the world and a, and then we go into them and we think. I mean, maybe that's going back to why I don't like anime. It's like, I reject the premises, right? It's just, nope, don't like this, don't like that. It's all rejected. 
um, in the same way that they're rejecting premises in their own world. That reminds me of one more movie. Um, have either of okay. you seen uh, Strangers in Fiction? That sounds familiar. Yes. With, uh, with, uh, with, with Will Ferrell as the main character and Emma oh, Thompson. Oh, yeah, that's great movie. Right. And, yeah, and she's that's... writing this novel about his life, and he, he's, he knows that he's going to die, and he... And he tried, and he, and he does intelligent things to try to figure out about it. He he goes uh, he goes to a writer to try to figure out. He needs to figure out. He needs to figure out what kind of novel you're in a tragedy or a comedy. Mm-hmm. He looks for the writer himself. It it it's a it's a fascinating movie. I know Will Ferrell kind of rubs off the wrong way on a lot of people. No, no, it's a good movie. But yeah, I I, I liked it a lot, and I thought of that again. I was listening. It's like, oh my god. Mm-hmm. So, he's doing the same. He's doing the same things here. I mean, it's very much inspired by that and it's like and there's no explanation of why the writer can do this and even the writer herself is kind of shocked that she has the ability to change his life like this I, I, I also like the use of the narrator in that in that uh, was it is Emma Thompson narrating it there was some sort of narrator yeah. telling him you know he could suddenly hear the narrator right, talking it's about Emma, <laughs> it's Emma Thompson yeah This has been the SFF Audio Podcast. Please join us at www.sffaudio.com.